Oh, good morning. Uh, glad to see you all. If you're new, boy, would we love to meet you. Our staff would love to connect with you. Really simple way to do that. Back of that bulletin you got, if you would be so bold or brave to write your contact information there. And on the way out, you can stop by Info Center and tell you a little bit more about that later. And uh, we have a, a gimmick for you. We'll give you a, a free gift to get your information so we can create some community. And uh, it's a t-shirt. So love, love for you to do that. If you're new, we, we kind of teach in series, and we just happen to be right in the middle of one right now called Wonder. And here's kind of the big idea. Um, billions, uh, billions of people all across our globe right now are coming to churches, pausing in their houses, opening up their advent calendars and preparing and singing and worshiping. Um, Jesus, billions, billions of people, not just here in uh, Southeast Pennsylvania, but all across our globe. Places where you're not supposed to do this, places where it's illegal to do this, all over, billions of people are actually pausing over the next couple of weeks to celebrate mm, the word of fle- uh, the, the, the word came flesh, right? And made us dwelling among us. Everybody's celebrating this idea that God showed up as a baby. Which is strange if you actually think about it. Right? You've got all sorts of stuff. We're educated people. We're evolved. We are smart. We understand science. And yet, billions of people are still kind of pausing and celebrating a baby God. A baby God. And here's kind of the question that we're wondering and considering is, what if it's really true? Like, what if this story is really, really, really true? Not kind of true, not sort of true, not that parts of it are true, but that it's all true. Right? And it's hard to kind of get, we get so confused with all the other stories around Christmas from Rudolph to Elves on Shelves to Santa to all these other stories that could be potentially true. And then we have this story and I'm just afraid we put it in that same category of, well, it's a cute story. It's representative of a neat idea. But what if it's actually true? What if we pause and wonder, what if it's actually true? I'm talking about all of it. Like the whole story, 100% true. All true. If we were to get there, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm a professional Christian, right? Like, there are very few people that are paid to be here today. I just happen to be one of them. So I should be one of the guys that probably has a little bit more confidence in this. And for the most part, I believe it's all true, right? But it's still a little bit of a weird story. A baby in a barn being born, wise men, shepherds, stars, right? And where's the Christmas tree? They don't even have a Christmas tree, right? And there are all sorts of complications. And, but what if it's true? What if it's all true? Right? If it's all true, it really could change things. It could have real implications for our own hearts, real ramifications for our own lives. And so it makes sense that if we're going to pause and get a few days off of work, we should probably stop and think, is this story really, really true? And if it is, then what that implies and what we know is God is a lot closer than we think. And what that implies is that there is no depth God is not willing to go to be with his children, right? There's nothing he's unwilling to do, right? To step into our world in the lowliest form, born to impoverished parents in a barn that's stunk, right? And that's just a portion of the story. That's just the book end of the story, how God invades our life in, in the gospels, right? Jesus shows up as a baby. 
Now, we got thousands of years prior kind of declaring that this news is going to come. And the first part of that news is God will dwell with his people, meaning he'll bring his kingdom. He'll usher in his kingdom. He'll usher, bring his home. He'll sit up in the neighborhood, and he will be available to us. But that's just one book in the story. The other book in is that he will actually die for us, meaning if this is true, it takes away all burden of responsibility for you. There's no level of performance you have to do to make this God happy with you. There's nothing that you could have done that could have been so significant that God couldn't have paid the price for that death, right? And if that's all true, then it changes everything. So the other side of the bookend, Jesus' death, really, really profound. But that's not even the end of the bookend. You think that's in the story, and then he comes back to life, proving that everything that he declared is worth believing and trusting. So what if it's all true? You go, what? Do you really believe that? And if not, why not? And I'll, I'll be honest with you, it's hard to believe. Right? It's the only worldview out there, only religion where God suffers. Like where he takes all the blame, takes all the burden and responsibility, gives us all the gifts, gives us all the goodness, and he takes all the bad. There is no other worldview that does that. Every other worldview, God is great and mighty as the creator of the universe should be. And it's our job to perform well enough to prove that he's great and mighty. But this worldview goes, no, no, God steps in in the lowliest form and then pays the ultimate price so that he removes all the responsibility and burden on us. And then, because it's Christmas, what we see here is that he gives us the greatest gift. Life with him now and for all eternity. And it's that, a gift, meaning you have to receive it. You can't pay for it. can't earn it. But you've got to open it. And you've got to take it in. You go, what if that's actually true? And why don't you actually believe that if you don't? And there's some reasons for that. It's weird. It's confusing. God suffers. And it's 2,000 years ago. And we have a hard time understanding that, particularly as we look at our uh, religious, spiritual, political leaders filled with arrogance and cockiness and manipulation throughout the globe. And God comes to this humble little baby. And it is a strange story. Now, luckily, uh, God was smart enough to know that we'd have a hard time reconciling this. And so what God um, implements 2,000 years ago is uh, he actually had some people kind of capture the story. Not in its entirety. Right? One of the writers of the story, John, says, I couldn't capture it in its entirety. There's not a library in the world that could house all this stuff. Right? And but he says, but I'm going to write these things so that you may believe. Right? So um, if you're not familiar with the Bible, it's 66 different books. I want you to see it that way. 66 ancient manuscripts, many of which we have. Some, you know, first century copies of this. I mean, this is pretty profound. This is, I guess, profound, the kind of data and evidence we have to these scriptures. 66 different manuscripts, and four of the, the beautiful ones kind of capture the bookends of Jesus' life on earth. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're called Gospels, meaning the good news written about Jesus' life. And a couple of these guys were eyewitnesses, meaning they walked with Jesus and they wrote down the stories. Um, one, his name was Luke. We read about him last week. We'll read about him or read his words again today. It was a guy who basically stopped his life, stopped his medical practice, and devoted his time and energy literally to wonder whether or not this is true. To wonder. And then after he compiled all the evidence, he starts in Luke chapter 1, the beginning of his, of his a story about Jesus' story, which we'd say is inspired by God, written by God, just happened to use human hands. So Luke writes this, and he says, hey, there's, um, there's a reason I'm writing this, because there's a lot of... Uh, truth that we say about who Jesus is and it's hard to believe all that truth and he goes but I write these words so that you may be <coughs> certain meaning what this is actually true and if it's true let me tell you how I have come to some conclusions about it's truth and you can 
walk out, you can read, you can have comfort in the certainty of this story. And it's a difficult story because there's no category for this story, right? There's no category of God becoming a baby. There's no category of God dying himself. There's no category of a resurrected human who also is God. There's just no category for this. So Luke is kind of behind the eight ball on trying to write a story that we can be certain in when there's so many categories of just uncertainty. And beyond all that is that we all really like certainty. All of us. There's very few things we like more in this world than certainty. In fact, we had so much of our life around certainty because we don't want to be disappointed. But here's the complication with certainty. There's very few things we can be certain of. No fear-mongering. Don't want to scare you here. But you cannot be certain you'll sleep in your bed tonight. There's not a single person in this room who can be certain of that. You can't be certain you'll get home to your house. Now, there's a real high probability. Really high probability. But there is no certainty there. And Luke is going, this is a story that you could be certain of. And you're going, well, I'd like to be certain, but it's really, really hard for me to be certain. And so what happens for us is we then start creating these ways by which we can be certain of the story. And we come up with all these things. We go, if God would do this, God would do this. If God would make this happen, then finally I can be certain. By the way, in the scriptures, Paul writes about this. And he says, hey, you religious people, talking to Jews, you want more signs and miracles. That's how you'd find certainty. But the reality is you wouldn't find certainty there because the sun rises every single day, right? It sets every single night. You breathe out some kind of filth, carbon dioxide, and some plant breathes it in and then spits out oxygen so that you can even breathe, right? Then he says to, uh, the, to, the, to, to the religious, he says, you want more signs and miracles. And then he says to the Greeks to kind of evolve the academics, he says, and you want more knowledge, right? But there is no level of knowledge. There's no level of miracle that's going to help us be certain. And yet Luke's going, there's a way to be certain here. And so what happens for us, and this is what we're going to look at today, is um, we all have this belief that we want to see and experience, and we have kind of expectations of how a God would work, right? So we have expectations. So we have all these expectations, not just of God, but of all sorts of folks, but expectations of God. If God, if you're real, then would you fill in the blank? Heal my cancer, save my marriage, make my kid say he's sorry, give me that job. Right? Those are the categories that we go, God, if you're real, then these things should happen in our lives. Right? But all of us in this room, like, that's the nice thing, is um, I've been disappointed in one of those expectations we had of God. Right? There's been a time that you thought God should come through a certain way, and he hasn't. In fact, many of you, the reason you're having a hard time believing about the suffering Savior and this servant and this Jesus, this Christmas story, is because life has beat you up pretty good. And you're going, that's pretty hard for me to be certain of those things. Like, so how in the world, if there is a good God, does evil exist in this world, right? Some of our expectations is people shouldn't shoot each other, right? Right? There's some of our expectations that people shouldn't end up so hopeless they take their own life. And God, if you're real and you are good, then why do those things still happen, right? We have these expectations of how God performs. And when those things don't happen, we have these expectations. And then the other side of it, we have life or what I'd call reality, right? And unfortunately, these two things don't match up all the time. They just don't. And so it's going, how in the world would we be certain about a baby as God who suffers and dies and comes back to life? How can we be certain of that? And we can't even be certain that we can lay in our own bed and can't even be certain that things are going to work out well in our own lives. So then it's like, well, if God is so big and great and he can handle all those things, why? And people keep telling me he's interested in my life and so interested that he came and died for me. Then why in the world is there so much uncertainty in my life? And why does the expectations I have of God rarely ever get met? And the truth is, they do rarely, if ever, get met. And what's really gracious of Luke after he tells us that he, um, 
that he is going to write these words so that we could be certain. He then stand, uh, he starts with this couple, Elizabeth and Zechariah, you can go to a sermon last week, who really had some expectations of God that were met. They had a reality, right? And they had this reality that one day they'd have children, or they had this expectation that they'd have kids. And it would help them uh, get security and protection and connect to God's legacy and all these things. And they find themselves in their old age and they are barren without kids and they are disappointed. And here's the reality that just happens for us, particularly as it relates to God, is when there's an expectation and a reality and they don't match up, you and I get to make one or two decisions about this every single time. Now I'm not talking about just with God. I'm talking about your spouse. I'm talking about in any relationship, but specifically right now, I'm talking about God. When there is a difference between the expectation you have and the reality that's actually played out in your life, you have to choose one of two things every single time. The first option is trust. Right? You just got to trust that. God's got a plan. No matter what, he's bends and shapes all things for our good and his glory. Like we get to say, okay, we can fill that gap because there's a gap. There's always a gap, guys. There's always a gap. In all our relationships, there's always a gap. We can either fill it with trust. But the reality is very few of us, if ever, fill it with trust. You see this happen with Zechariah or the second option, which is what most of us do. You can fill it with suspicion. Now, here's the problem. There's always going to be a gap. Because uh, God, uh, the way that God works is usually beyond just the categories that we have. And when we have expectations of God and they're not met, we can go, either God is, has a better plan than this. Or we can go, well, God's not very good at his job. He doesn't really do things the way that I'd like for him to do them. And so we take back the keys and go, we got it from here, God. We got it from here, God, right? So what we saw happen last week is this angel shows up and says, hey, Zachariah, you've had this expectation for a really long time. You and your wife both, that you would have kids. Right? There's a lot of reasons you want kids, and a lot of them are really, really good reasons. And you've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and asked God to deliver you from your barrenness. Right? Which is so beautiful because this is the story that Luke starts with. This is our story. There's just places that we have lots of disappointment. He's Zachariah. We hear that you're disappointed. We know that you're disappointed. And there is a reality for you that's filled with disappointment. But here's the good news. It says this. God's heard your prayers. God's heard your prayers. And he's going to deliver you. He's going to provide something for you. Right? So Zechariah finally gets this good news from this angel Gabriel, and now he gets to go, Ah, oh, God's finally going to come through. Or he's going to do what most of us do. He's going to be suspicious. He's going to scoff. He's going to say, literally, he's going to go, mm, Are you sure about that? I'm old, and my wife is really old. That's what he says there. Right? And this isn't like he's asking a question. This is filled with contempt and suspicion. Right? You'll see two different interactions with the same angel today. Uh, we saw that one with Zachariah. And I don't know how many of you my age, maybe a little bit older, there was a, a, a show uh, back in the 90s called 90210, right? Big deal, right? And then um, Aaron Spelling, the producer of that, he wanted to give his daughter a job, I guess, and created a, a new show called uh, Melrose Place. It's kind of a crossover. And then that, there was this guy named Ray Pruitt. No, if you know Ray, Ray was in, I lost most of you, but it's okay. Uh, um, Ray Pruitt was in 90210, Data Woman, now he's in Melrose Place. And he writes this song that becomes like a national hit, not just for the show, but for all things. And it was called, How Do You Talk to an Angel, right? So um, what we saw last week is how not to talk to an angel. Zachariah doesn't do a very good job of this because what he does on this, he scoffs and he laughs. And um, kind of his position is he puts Gabriel on the stand and he's the attorney cross-examining the witness, trying to catch him up in his, in his buffoonery, right? So he literally scoffs and goes, that's stupid. That's not possible. My wife's old. In other words, he's going, there's no way. Filled with suspicion. 
Now, God in his grace doesn't allow Zechariah to ruin his own life, ruin his own relationship, ruin his own marriage. Doesn't even allow him to infiltrate that broken suspicion back in his wife's ears. So literally he strikes him mute for the next nine months. No, that's discipline, not punishment. Don't get to time, uh, talk to you about it today. You can go back and listen to last week or the podcast that came out on Tuesday if you want more information about discipline or punishment. But what we see happen here is that Zechariah fills this gap with suspicion. Now, because Luke is gracious and God is perfect and has a plan, he's actually going to show us how, when we have a different reality than our expectations, how we should respond to God and how we can, every single time, Every single time, not fill that gap with suspicion, but fill with trust. By the way, do you want to see any breakdown in any relationship? This is always where it breaks down. In your marriage, with your kids, it gets to the point, some of them, where you stop choosing trust in it, and you automatically move to suspicion. Now, here's the bad news and the good news all kind of piled up in one. There are some reasons you should be suspicious, right? There are reasons in your life with your kids, with your spouse, whatever, that it may be a sign to be suspicious. Right? But here's the good news. You don't have to actually trust that relationship, but you can still, in the middle of all that, trust the one who oversees that relationship. Right? Even if there's a, a reason to have a different experience between your experience and the reality, you can still trust that there is a right decision to make because there is a God who's called you to that in a way to behave in that. Right? So even if you're just kind of looking at a micro level, how do we interact with relationships, this is going to be really, really beneficial. But it's much bigger than that. right? Because the God of the universe has a plan for us. And when those plans we don't see, don't understand, are different than our expectations of reality, we're going to fill it with one of two places. And today, not always, but today, you're going to kind of walk out of here with a, a nice little checklist of plan. Very rarely does that happen because the scriptures are so nuanced and complicated. And beyond wanting to give you some how-to help, really want you to understand Jesus is Lord and walk in that. Right? But today, really, really beneficial. That's why you got some space in your notes where you actually can jot down one, two, three, four, and five. You'll get to do all that today. And where we find ourselves today is a story with another angel. And this is, thanks, Ray Pruitt, how do you talk to an angel? And Mary, Mary does a really good job, which is ironic. Because Zachariah is this old, godly priest. And Mary's this 14-year-old middle school girl. Filled with emotion and drama, right? And we're going to look at Zachariah and go, Hey, thanks, godly pastor, but that's the wrong way to do it. Let's go look at Teen Vogue and find our answers with Mary, right? I mean, this is, this is just, there's no category for this. That we're going to look for advice and counsel from this 15, 14, 13-year-old little girl. By the way, that should say something to you, particularly at how you look at your kiddos, how you look at your teenagers, how you look at how God interacts with them and what he is teaching them and helping them discover. And, and it would imply, there's some implications here, that perhaps, perhaps there's something you can learn from your kids. Perhaps. So here it goes. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Zechariah has just been struck mute. He can't talk. He can't hear. And he's kind of in this uh, uh, time out. For the next nine months and eight days. So we see that. Uh, you can go back and listen to last week's sermon. And we find ourselves in Luke chapter 1 verse 26. And here's what it says. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So Elizabeth's been pregnant six months now. Zechariah has been mute and deaf for six months now. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. A town in Galilee. So here's the direction. Now Luke is always going to give us some interesting details. Because he wants you to be able to understand this. Remember he's writing this so you can have certainty. 
So you're going to see him put people in timelines. He's going to see you tell about people that aren't necessarily important in the story. These geographical locations don't really matter unless you're in the first century going, oh, I know that town. Let me go check it out. Let me go ask um, Mary's auntie about all this stuff, right? Uh, town in Galilee. To a virgin. That's different than the olive oil. This is a different type of... I'm talking about like night Popeye and olive oil. I'm talking about like the actual... Extra, you got it. Anyway. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So remember last week we read about Zechariah multiple times. Uh, the scriptures call her old. Right? So that's important because... Luke wants you to see the great links by which God does supernatural stuff in her life to bring a child there. So Luke is going to give you another adjective to see that God is doing something at great lengths. It makes, it makes absolute sense that they'd go, Elizabeth would go, well, I'm old. I can't do this. It makes perfect sense that Mary would go, well, I've never done that, so I can't do this, right? And so two times in the same verse, we get an adjective so that you understand how big of a link this is. This is a supernatural moment, right? Virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings. That means hello. You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. That word highly favored, literally, uh, is the same root word favored as uh, charis, where we get the word grace. This is beautiful. The whole Christmas story is filled with gifts. And so what you see here is Gabriel shows up and says, you're about to get a really good gift. About to be a really good gift. So God's going to declare it as a good gift. The scriptures say over and over again that God only gives good gifts. Now, at first glance, this doesn't seem like a very good gift. She doesn't have any money. Uh, she had, all she has left for her is her, or all she has is kind of her godliness and her righteousness and her reputation, and she's about to lose those things. And she's going to show up and say, you are highly favored. Now, what we see in scriptures over and over again, this is not a precious moment. Angel, these things are pretty overwhelming, right? I told you last week that for the most part, when an angel showed up, the person who is the recipient of the angel always wished they had a diaper on, right? Just kind of that experience. And so what we know in this moment is Mary probably is like, yay, an angel, right? She's never had a cat this category before. She's not sure what this is. All of a sudden, this supernatural figure is going to show up. So let's see how she responds. Oh, Mary was greatly troubled. God shows up and she's going to go, hooray, right? Says so she was greatly troubled. At his words, and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. So an angel shows up and says, Greetings, you are highly favored. That's good news. Now, Mary doesn't have a category for this. So this is not her certain expectation, right? This is a different thing than the reality that she thought. She thought she was, you know, going to go hang out with the girls today. Go braid somebody's hair, right? Make a hair bun. I don't know. Do some nails. I have no idea what this is. I just want to make sure I hit all the gender roles inappropriately and offensively. Sorry about all that. Play with some Barbies, right? Sorry, sorry. That's just a joke, right? So this is not what Mary had planned. All of a sudden, wherever she is in this town, she has this interaction with an angel. And it tells us that her first response is fear. She is troubled. So when you have a difference between what your expectations are and the reality, you can fill it with trust or suspicion. Well, what's the first thing you should do? Ready for this? Here you go. Here's the first thing you should do. That word wondered, see that? That's the word we've been talking about for the last several weeks. We'll continue to. It's not a very good um, translation. I have a really good word for it. If you're reading ESV, I think it says pondered. King English Standard Version, King James Version. They all say different, but they all have the same root word about logic. Like there is this moment where she's trying to put these pieces together. She's actually trying to stop and think, right? So when you have this difference between uh, your expectations and reality, what's the first thing you should do in all categories? Here's what I'd say. Stop 
and think every time. It's really, really important. Try to understand, right? Viktor Frankl talks about in every uh, part of our life, we have this stimuli, stimulus, something that happens to us, and response, and that space between those two, between the stimuli and the response, it changes all things, right? You know this in your marriage, if you're married. You know, your spouse mentioned that, that you didn't do a good job um, unloading the dishwasher or loading the dishwasher, and there's this gut reaction you have. I wouldn't share that gut reaction, usually. Your spouse tells you that the temperature of the meat's wrong. You have this gut reaction. Probably not a really good one to share, right? You probably just pause and, and I stop and think. It seems so weird for me to tell you guys this stuff, you know? Like, it's like, yeah, that's probably really good advice. I want to go back and listen to this podcast this week and see how to do that, right? So there's this, this moment of stopping and thinking, right? There's something about pausing in the middle of it and actually trying to understand what's going on. So Mary, in this moment, it says Mary was greatly troubled. Oh, oh, there's a stimuli. Oh, that pushed the button. That fear button came up, right? Boy, do I feel inadequate. Boy, do I feel, like, controlled, whatever it is. And her next thing, and that is words, and she wondered, stopped and thought, what kind of greeting this might be. First step. When your reality and your expectations don't line up, probably should pause and think about it. But then it continues. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. That's the second time in a couple, three verses where it says favor. That's again a gift. Mary, you're about to be a good gift. Now again, guys, at first, second, third, fourth, fifth glance, this doesn't seem like much of a good gift. This is about to just create all sorts of mess for Mary's life. Right? Her mother-in-law is not going to like this news. Just saying. Found favor with God, verse 31. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Remember, she's a teenager. She's not married yet. She's got a fiance. And she's just got this news. Look, some of you are in your 20s, 30s, and married, and you got this news, and it was really, really overwhelming to you. Some of you are in your 40s and got this news, and you weren't like, hooray! You started counting down the numbers of when your kid would graduate, and you're looking at 61, and you're like, I'm still going to have a kid in the house? Right? So Mary gets this news, and, well, she doesn't know what the news yet. She just finally gets it. Hey, you're going to get a gift, and the gift you're going to have is a baby. And here's the gender reveal. Poke the button. Ah, it's a boy! I didn't get gender reveals, but we didn't get promposals either. So you kids, you're so lucky, right? <laughs> promposals, gender reveals, just all sorts of neat stuff for the social media world. Put that on your snaptogram, right? <laughs> you will give birth, conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. This is really important. Last week we saw that uh, angel shows up to Zechariah. He doesn't do a very good job with this, but we get the name. The name is John. Name is John, and that name means Yahweh is gracious. Yahweh gives good gifts. No, John wasn't a good gift. John was to show up and tell you about the really good gift. Now we see the really good gift. And what's the really good gift that Yahweh gives? Name Jesus, which means Yahweh gives salvation. <coughs> Yahweh brings salvation. This is the Hebrew word uh, Yeshua, Joshua, right? And so that word Joshua translated into Greek is Jesus. So if you've heard both names, Jesus' name in the Hebrew is Yeshua, Joshua. Um, but because they live in a, uh, in a time now where Hebrew is not as significant in the culture and Greek's the new one, he's going to have this kind of double name and he's going to go by Joshua to 
I mean, to, you know, by Jesus to the world. So you will be call him Jesus, meaning God is going to save the whole world through him. Not only is he a gift to you, he's a gift to everyone. Right? That's what we see here. And now we're going to get an understanding of who he is. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, meaning this has always been the plan. The plan you've heard about from the very beginning, Mary. This is the plan. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. A couple things there. One, you're seeing this has always been the plan, meaning if this story is true, what's beautiful about it is God from the very beginning was writing it. Hey, Mary, remember? <coughs> remember, and um, this is me telling you what I think Mary is working through, right? Hey, remember, Mary, when you heard the story of Adam and Eve where they messed it up and God shows up and says, there's a couple things. There's going to be pain in uh, childbirth. Sorry, Mary. <laughs> you know, second one is uh, it's gonna, work's going to be hard. Your daddy's not always going to like it. It's true, right? Right, Mary, you get that. And the third one is, remember, remember he, he struck the ground, he struck the, the serpent, and then he made this proclamation, hey, through you one day, Eve, through your offspring, line of Jacob, line of David, all the way there's going to be this little teenage girl, Mary. Right, through that line is going to come a Savior who's going to show up into this world. Hey, Mary, you've heard that story for, it's been talked about for thousands of years. You know what's going to happen, and you're going to be the one that's going to be the incubator for it. It says, and it will be forever. And watch this. His kingdom will never end. Right? So if you understand the brokenness of our, our culture and our world as God came and set up his kingdom and human beings go, we like our kingdom better than yours. And for thousands of years, we've been trying to operate in our own way and it just hasn't worked well for us. And you could see the kind of havoc our kingdom is playing out on people all over the place. Right, I told you last week, we are relieved when we wake up the next day and when we read the news and find out there wasn't a shooting in the middle of the night. That's what happens in our kingdom. So the solution is either there is just de devastating tragedy from this point forward or God has to come back and reunite and bring his kingdom here, right? So we walked away from God's kingdom and God goes, let me usher that back in, right? You, we can't find it no matter how hard we search. We're not going to find the right door, the right password, the right cave. We can't find it. So God literally is going to show up and give us back his kingdom. And guess what? That kingdom, when it shows back up, it will reign forever. But this is really, really important because while we don't have a category for this, in our heart of heart and our soul, we kind of feel like we were made to live longer than we do. I talk to you about this all the time. No one at the end of their life says, boy, that just went by so slow. I'm glad this is over. Right? Every single month, someone stops us at a restaurant, wherever it is, and tells us, enjoy your time with your kids. I'm like, oh, yeah, thanks a lot. I really appreciate that. No, shut up. I'm trying to listen to them. Right? You know, that kind of thing, right? Enjoy your time with your kids. Why, why, why? Because it goes by so fast. Now I just would say that's an implication that there's something about our, spoil, uh, our, our soul that wasn't supposed to move at this pace and be so short-lived. That's why we're always in a hurry, trying to get more in this little bitty life. And what he says here is, no, 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 that kingdom that's available to you, that's going to be ushered in through Jesus, it will reign forever. This kingdom will never end. That's what we understand. That's what Jesus is bringing in. That's the really good gift. You and him forever. Jesus does all the work. Verse 34. Mary says, how will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin. Fair question. I mean, I don't know how much she knows about chromosomes, XXXY. I don't know if she knows about DNA. Probably not, you know, but I think she knows how this works out. So she's asked a question, and a lot of people go, well, Zachariah asked a question, and he gets struck mute. No, this is different. Remember what I told you? There's a difference between a cross-examining attorney who says, scoffs and says, that's stupid, and a pupil talking to the teacher. So she's going, help me understand. 
okay, I don't understand this. I don't have a category for this. I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm just saying I don't have a category for this. So this is really, really important. Guys, the second step here. After you stop and think, try to understand, express your doubts. Don't stuff them. Don't just say suck it up. Express your doubts. This is really, really important. If you uh, read throughout the Old Testament, what you see over and over again is um, that God tends to stack the deck against himself. Where it just seems like there is no way. Where there is no way, God always makes a way. You see it with stories like uh, Gideon and Judges, which is the series we'll start in uh, January, right? Where God basically says, no, 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 your army's too big. Your army can't be that big. Because here's the problem. When your army's that big, you're going to take credit for it yourself. And I don't want you to take credit for yourself because then you're going to wonder next time if you have to perform well then too. You're going to wonder if it's always up to you and always your responsibility. So God over and over again stacks the deck against himself. Stacks the deck and goes, there is no way. Right? The story of the gospel is where there was no way, God made a way. The only way you can really identify that is if you actually express your doubts. You can say to God, in whatever category you got, this doesn't make any sense to me. God, there seems to be no way. There seems to be no way you can heal me from this addiction. God, there seems to be no way you can draw my kids back. There seems to be no way you can make a way. There, seems, there just seems no way out. There just is no way. And what's really beautiful about the Old Testament and New Testament is literally when that declaration happens that there is no way, God is primed to show off his might and his majesty every single time. So literally when Mary goes, oh, there just doesn't seem to be a way for this. Stacking the deck against himself. Why? So that God can get all the credit. Look, we are suspicious. People in the first century were suspicious about whether or not Mary was actually a virgin. You know who wasn't suspicious? Mary. She knew. Right? So this isn't for everybody else in this moment. She's going, let me be really clear that there is no way, because I understand the transaction that has to happen for this to happen. That's never happened and won't happen, God. So how does this happen? So what you see here is that Mary is expressing her doubts and expressing her doubts. She is preparing a way for God to make a way where there was no way. She's preparing a way for God to make a way where there seems to be no way. Right? And so this is really, really important. It is not bad for you to talk to God about how you don't see a positive outcome from this. Because the minute you kind of put that radar up, then all of a sudden, when God comes through, guess who gets the credit for it every single time? God. You know, if you're just stuffing it, not feeling it, not thinking about it, then God can't even get the credit for doing something miraculous, right? And what we see throughout the scriptures in our own life is when our faith going, God, we're going to trust you. And God's faithfulness, meaning he's always going to keep his word. When those things collide, miraculous things always happen. Right? And so we, at some point, have to identify these places where there is a huge obstacle, where it seems like the only solution that could be good would have to be supernatural. So in this moment, the second thing that happened is Mary actually expresses her doubts. This is not bad because she's going, I don't understand. Help me understand. Right? This is really, really important. You're going to see in just a second why it is. Because we get one of the most beautiful verses of Scripture as a result of her expressing her doubts. Verse 35. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And Mary's like, that doesn't help. You're telling me there's going to be this Holy Spirit? That sounds creepy and scary. Right? So, this, so we get this supernatural moment. And this is where it gets complicated. There's a lot of things God probably could explain to us that just wouldn't do us any good. The same reason you don't really talk to your two-year-old about your 401k. 
and how it's going to make it easier for them to put you in a nursing home. Right? You don't explain to them. They just don't quite get it at 2. They might get it by 7 or 8, 10, 12, 15. There are just certain things. Like you're not going to explain calculus to a 1-year-old. Their brain just cannot understand it. So we get this first thing, and he's like, well, let me give you the actual explanation of what's going to happen. Uh, the Holy Spirit's going to impregnate you. And she's like, oh, let me, what? Yeah, I mean, I, that's fair, right? That doesn't make any sense. But she's really, really, uh, the angel's really nice. He goes, okay, that's, that's how it's actually going to happen. But let me, let me give you another example. Verse 36, even Elizabeth, your relative is going to have a child in her old age. It's the third time, third time Elizabeth's names come up. And every single time they talk about her being old, she is angry in heaven right now saying, quit calling me old. I got nice skin now in heaven. Right? So funny. She's really old, really old, really wrinkled. She sneezes, dust comes out, right? And she had a baby. She's, she's pregnant with a child. So he's going to go, let me give you an example. Where there was no way, Elizabeth, post-menopause, right? Nail's going to have this baby. There is no way here. There is no way. Even in her old age, she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her six months. So let me give you an example. It is possible. So there seemed to be no way. Elizabeth was aware there was no way. Guess what? God made a way. Why? Why? Here it is. Verse 37. This is why I love that she expresses her doubts because we get this verse. We quote it. We love it. Put it on the coffee mug. Tattoo it on your arm, right? For no word from God will ever fail. And this is the beauty of this whole story, guys. The story of Christmas is God affirming and confirming that he will always do whatever he says he's going to do and he only gives good gifts. And so he's going, hey, Mary, Mary, remember from the beginning where they, we said that God would bring about a savior who is going to be human but also God? Mary, your body is going to be the supernatural place by which that's housed. Now you might not understand it all. It might be really, really confusing but you got to understand, Mary, this is how it's going to be, right? And so you see this word, no word from God will ever fail. And I'll just be honest with you. This is probably the piece that we struggle with the most. At some point, you have to come to the conclusion, do you actually believe that? Do you believe that's an eternity that God makes available to you? Right? Because if that, if so, that changes everything about suffering and about pain and about sorrow. <laughs> One billion years from now, whether or not you stubbed your toe today will not matter. 100 billion years from now, whether you're 30 days late on your mortgage, it really won't matter. 100, 100 billion years from now, whether your spouse loaded the dishwasher right, really won't matter. You see, there's all this stuff that we're consumed by, even the death. I'm not, I'm not trying to trivialize the pain of it. But if this is true, if all of God's words are true and they will never fail, that means God ushered in his kingdom and is inviting you into it. And remember what I just said just a few verses ago. It will be forever. It will never end. So no word from God ever fails. Hey, Mary, that's what you can take to the bank. That's the certainty you can have. Not that you can understand all this, but there is something greater and more certain. So Mary hears that. She's processed it. She's expressed her doubts. Verse 38, it says this. I'm the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Third thing you got to do. This is the hard one, but give you, don't, don't, don't bail out yet. There's still two others that will be helpful for this one. Third thing you got to do. Surrender. Surrender. Here's what this means. 
means even if you don't like it, you still trust that God's words will never fail. Here's what it means. It means even if you don't understand it, it means that God's words will never fail. So in this moment, she's not going, oh, it makes sense to me. I understand exactly how this has happened. She's going, no, no, no. But you said your word will never fail. I believe that. And so I surrender. This is what's so important here, guys. This is what's so important. Like, when we think about Christmas, one of the things I always talk about, it's so interesting to think about these gifts that we give each other. I think it's a beautiful sign of what God gives us. So all these gifts point to the greatest gift, which is Jesus. But one of the interesting things that it's easy to forget about at Christmas, and just about every week during the Christmas season we talk about it, is that this is actually someone's birthday. This is actually someone's birthday. This is the God of the universe's birthday. This is a transformative moment when he decides to show up as a baby. This is his birthday. So it makes sense that we'd go, what does the birthday boy want for Christmas? Right, in other words, here, here's, what, here's what we're saying. What should we give? This is true. What should we give? What should we give? Now I think Mary gives us a really good picture of what we should give. You're not going to like this. But here's what you should give. In. Here's what you should give this Christmas. It's in. You should give in. Give in. Right? You can look at the stool all day and go, I'm not sure if it's going to hold me or not. I think it's going to hold me. Yeah, it's a really pretty stool. Thanks for the stool. I'm not sure if it will actually hold me. You will never know until finally you take all your weight off of you and place it on it. Give in. Right? In Proverbs it says, trust the Lord with all your heart. Right? And trust the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. Meaning, stop leaning on you. Lean in. All the way in. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And guess what he does every single time? He will make your path straight. He will direct your path. No word from God ever fails. And so in this moment, Mary finally goes, okay, I'm going to lean in. And boy, is that scary. Right? Uh, some of you like rock climbing. It doesn't make any sense to me, right? I'm not, so I'm not afraid of heights. I'm just really afraid of gravity. Right? I got 208 pounds right here, right? That falls at 32 feet per second. That's not, that's not, that's not nice, right? And so, like, every time I'd rock climb, they put you on one of those, in one of those, you know, awkward things that looks like this uh, rope diaper, right? And you put it on, and then you climb, and someone holds you, and you go belaying on, on belay, climbing, whatever, all those really fancy outdoor terms, right? But I did the same thing every time. I would climb up, like, one step like this. And immediately I just would lean back, all the way back. Like, I'm not going any further up until I know that thing is holding me at one foot, right? Because one foot fall is not bad, 40 foot fall is. And so I start leaning in real early, right? Because I want to make sure that this thing is going to hold me when I get up high, right? And so in this, Mary goes, okay, God, I'm just going to lean in. I'm going to surrender. And that's what I tell you. You got to give in. You got to lean in. And you go, I've tried that over and over again, and it's hard. And you are right, it is. And thank goodness. This 13-year-old girl who's going to give us an example of how to do this is going to model something that's really helpful for how do you give in. How do you surrender? Now watch this. Verse 39. At that time, meaning immediately, she goes, I surrender. So what does she do? Does she go sit back at her house? Does she go, you know, grab a magazine? Does she go cut on the TV? Does she watch Power Rangers? I'm trying to help with those gender role things, right? Is it all those things. What does she do? What does she do? What does she do? It says this. At that time, Mary got ready okay, and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. So she surrenders. She immediately goes somewhere. Where is she going? This is really, really important. Where is she going? She's going somewhere. Immediately she surrenders. And she doesn't sit there and pray. She doesn't fast. She doesn't go to the synagogue. She doesn't... Where does she go? This is really, really important. Absurdly important. Probably the biggest obstacle we have in actually surrendering is not doing this piece. 
Okay, hope I build up some anticipation. It's beautiful. Verse um, 40, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. This is beautiful. She doesn't talk to Zechariah. It would have been a waste of time. He can't talk or hear anything, right? <laughs> He's just sitting dumb in the corner, right, just all by himself. And so she goes, hey, Elizabeth. Right? This is so strange. So immediately, what does she do? She goes directly to Elizabeth. Remember, she just heard this story about someone who God has done something supernatural with. I don't know if conception's happened yet. I don't know any of those things. I don't think it has. She is preparing to surrender. And what does she do? She goes to someone else who's already had the experience. So what's the fourth thing Mary does? She finds community. Particularly, she finds community from someone who's already struggled with this. Guys, this is the greatest gift that God gives us outside of salvation. It's his church. He gives us a community of people who struggle and have wrestled with the same things that we are wrestling through. Right? This is why I love what it says in Revelation chapter 12. That the enemy is defeated by the blood of the lamb, meaning what Jesus did for us, and the word of people's testimony. And as a result of that word, people did not even shrink even from death. But they weren't even afraid of death anymore as they heard these stories. You guys have stories. You have stories of overcoming addiction. You have stories where your marriage made it through where there seemed to be no way. You have stories of dealing with barrenness where God came through and either, either you were able to conceive or you were able to adopt or you were able years later to look back at what God could have been doing in that moment that we can't see it in the middle of the moment. Right? And there is something about you being able to share this story with other people. Right, so where does Mary go? She goes to someone who's already had this experience. So if you've had experience of pain and sorrow and it seemed to be there no way, there is no way, you have to share that with people. Right? And that's what I love even on Wednesday nights. There's this testimony class that's happening. So you can hear that people have walked through this pain and suffering, right? There's something crazy that it says in, in the scriptures, in Leviticus. It says, if you can withstand the fire, if something can withstand the fire, it must go through the fire in order for it to be purified. The way by which purification happens is by walking through a fire, right? And some of you are on the other side of the fire, right? So you got to share what that story is like. For those of us who aren't are ready to bail and go, I can't continue to surrender. This is the beauty of community. This is the beauty of getting out of these rows and into circles. This is the beauty of showing up on a Wednesday night. One of the great things that happens here every Wednesday night, we have a meal together at 530. You come to RSVP, you can just show up. And there's Bible classes, great things for your kids and students. But right here in this room is Celebrate Recovery. Where a bunch of people are being really honest about their hurts, their habits, and their hangups. And some of them have conquered them. Some of them are 5, 10, 15, 20 years sober. Or 15 years of understanding what it's like to live in a codependent world with their spouse or their kids. And they are seeing some success in it. Right? And some of them are going, I haven't found any success yet. I just know i got to walk with some other people. And so I just would invite you into that. Like, if you're going, I'm having a hard time surrendering, I promise it's because of number four. I promise because you haven't really found real community. So help, let us help you do that. Like right after the service, right down front, there'll be people who'd be happy to pray with you and talk to you about whatever you got going through. We're not trivializing the pain. What Mary experienced has got to be overwhelming and traumatic. Right? If you're going, I'd like to get to know people, just write on the back of that bulletin, we will move heaven and earth to help you connect with people. Right? Because there is no solution for all this surrender unless you're doing it with other people and walking in the community. So you see Mary do that. She finds community. You now watch what happens. Verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. See this? So she walks in, and there's this really neat moment where this child within Elizabeth celebrates. And guys, Hear me, and this isn't, I'm not politicizing this in any way, but I, I do think you've got to hear this. Like, 
some of you know this, some of you, many of us know this about uh, conception, right? Some of you have removed every obstacle possible and you can still not conceive a child and it is with deep pain, right? And so what you're doing is going, God, you're going to have to do this in whatever way you see fit. It does not make any sense to you, but you understand that there is something supernatural that has to happen to take these chromosomes and merge them together to make a life, right? Now, others of you, you've had the exact opposite experience. You've put up every obstacle in the way. And yet somehow, you're going, we're not sure how this happened, right? We understand there's this supernatural component that happens in, in birth and in, in creating life. And that happens immediately because it's a supernatural thing. And this isn't woe to people who've had abortions. I'm just saying there, there is a reality you see in this moment where that's not a fetus jumping up and leaping. That's a soul that God created. And this isn't to shame anyone. If anything, this is a call for us to go, can we continue to pray and ask God to do something amazing? Can we continue to raise men who become good dads that don't put women in a spot where they go, yep, enjoy the fun, not interested in the rest of it? Right? Can we be a church that loves people when we say we'll help you whatever it is and we are pro-life? That means from the time you're conceived to the time that you die. Right? Can we, can we build up a better reputation here that we're taking care of orphans and widows? Right? Can, can we do all that stuff not with any shame or pain of going, boy, I cannot imagine the pain you must have felt to have to make that decision, and it grieves me for you. Not because I'm mad at you, not because I think you're bad or because God's disappointed you. I cannot imagine being in the situation you're in. And I am sorry we have not done a better job of walking with you in that situation. And some of you have had that experience, Right? Some of you made that decision to go, I can't, I can't raise this life. But you've come out on the other side and really found God's forgiveness and grace and mercy in it. And I'm going, be an Elizabeth to a Mary here. It's okay to share your story. There is no judgment in this. There is no judgment. You are no more broken and no more messed up than I am. In fact, you're probably a lot less. So how do we love people regardless of this? Go, no, 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 God is up to something great, but we can't see it unless we're in community together. So the, the solution to this is not political. We're not going to legislate change. The solution has always been the same, and it's been the local church. Just be the local church. So you see this moment where this baby leaps, and then Elizabeth does something beautiful. Watch what she says here. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So she makes this declaration. You see this? Like this, this is still really early on. Like, we're not, like, this is brand new news, and you see this moment. Can you imagine this for Mary? She hasn't told Joseph yet. Mother-in-law doesn't know yet. You understand what kind of fuel this is for the surrender? Okay, God, I'm going to trust you, but I'm scared to death. And she walks in this thing, and all of a sudden, Elizabeth greets her. And what does she do? She speaks so much life. Right? When we see in the scripture, it says, The power of life and death is in the tongue. There's something about community where you can go. You got this. Right, I was struggling with something a couple months back, and I mean, I was frankly sobbing, sobbing in deep pain. And I had a friend look at me, and all they said, "Hey, it's going to be okay." Didn't tell me how it was going to be okay. Didn't list a plan. Didn't offer me a book suggestion. None of those things. Right? He just looked at me and said, "It's going to be okay." And in that moment, I believed him. Right? There's just something about speaking that truth of looking and going, hey, Mary, it's going to be okay. In fact, it's going to be better than okay. Hey, we're going to look back at this in 10 years and go, wow, God did something really, really great. We're not there yet. Right? And so there's just this beauty of the church community going, no, 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 it's okay. So she says that. And 
And then it says this, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. There it is again. So I was just like, this is crazy. He knew before I knew. It's pretty cool. He's already starting his declaration of preparing the way right there. Oh, John the Baptist. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. That blessed means actually a happiness, a fulfilled life. Hey, when you surrender, there's good to come. No, 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 it's worth it. So this, she shows up, just says, hey, Elizabeth, and then breaks out in this thing. It's so funny. You see it a couple times in the scriptures. I always make fun of musicals because nobody actually does this in real life. They don't break out in song. But two times in Luke chapter 1, it happens. Just a second. You'd see Zechariah do it. We're not going to read that. But Mary's response is a song. And here's inevitably what happens out of community when we talk about God's goodness and why. Why I think it's important. You show up to church. Not so you can give money. Not so you can boost our attendance. Right? I mean, we have online options. You can give online. You can watch online. But there's something about showing up together corporately and doing this, which is what she does. She breaks out in song. This is what I'd offer. The fifth thing is this. She praises God. Right? And you're going to hear me say it a thousand more times from the stage. Praise is your prescription to pain. Whatever pain you're going on, praise is going to be your prescription to it. And, hear me, here's a couple more pieces for you. Praise is your prescription to pain and your pathway to peace. Right? And so what happens, she finds community, she speaks life, and she then all of a sudden sings. It happens all the time here. Did y'all hear just at the end when we were singing that kind of acapella moment? There's just something that just comforts us about God's goodness and God's grace when you're surrounded by a bunch of people who go, I believe this too. No, no, we believe this too. There's something beautiful about happens when we come together corporately and sing. There's something that happens here. Like it'll never not be a part of this church because this is how the movement works. What happens is what we internalize, all of a sudden we can't help but, uh, we can't contain anymore. And what happens is it just comes out of us. And it's happened throughout this year. I just want to read to you what Mary says real quick. And here's what she says. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Boy, is that not true. 2,000 years later, we're celebrating this teenage girl. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant... Israel remembering to be merciful. Abraham and his descendants forever. Be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. Just, watch this, as he promised our ancestors. There's only been one plan, and the plan was always that God would make a way where there seemed to be no way, and that would be through Jesus. And he would enter our world, and then enter our lives, and then invite us into his kingdom forever. And you go, wow, really good, Mary. Well, I can promise you she had some anxiety and some doubts. In fact, here's what it says in the last verse. It says, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This wasn't a quick fix. This was a, I'm confident. I got this by myself. This was a three month. This was 90 days of walking daily in community trying to work through this. So I just would tell you, look, whatever it is, you're dealing with it, whatever suspicion you're dealing with, the reality is first you got to actually examine your thoughts and be honest about them. Express your doubts. 
right? Then surrender, then find community, and then respond in praise. And I would just say, you actually get to try that now. So what's going to happen is the bands will come up, and we're going to sing this song. And we're going to sing this song about praising this God who is good. And one of the lines in the bridge goes, your banner, your banner's over us. That's talking about identity, this idea that God covers us with his name and his plan. And then at the very end, um, the song transitions to the doxology. I don't know if you know it. It's praise God from whom all blessings flow, right? Like praise God. And here's the really beautiful thing about the doxology is it's about 300 years old, a little over 300, meaning for 300 years, churches have been getting together during their services collectively and strengthening their faith by declaring that they can praise God because he's the one by which all blessings flow. And he gives us that evidence in the Christmas story. Now, that story actually uh, begins 300 years ago with a guy named Thomas Ken. He was an academic guy and a writer and was an orphan, by the way. Lost his parents. Had to be raised by his um, sister and her husband. And he was in the academic world. And what he realized is that his students were struggling. But he found this really neat way to help them in the middle of every single day. And what it was was singing praise songs. So every day after a couple, I don't know, after chapel, after a couple classes, I'm not sure, they had a morning set of hymns they would sing. They would sing these praise songs. At the end of the praise, that song, it would end with the doxology that we know. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. But that was just one of the songs. Then they had one for after lunch. Every single day. They would sing together. These, these boys would get together and they would sing the song to sustain them in their belief, right? And then at the end of their school day, before they finished it up, they would come back and sing. And there were all three different hymns, but the one thing all three hymns had in common was this song, the doxology. And for 300 years, the church has been meeting together and strengthening their faith and their confidence in who God is by standing collectively and singing that God is the one by which all blessings flow. So I double dog dare you to sing these songs. Right this second, go, God, even though this is hard for me to believe, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand in unison with a bunch of other people who also believe this and go, God, would you help my faith in this? So would you stand with me as we sing this song? Oh 
there, there, honestly, I was just thinking about this. There are very few sounds in this world I love more than standing in this room and hearing you all sing. There's just something about such a confidence and going, no, God, you got this. And you are working through a group of people. God, our world's going to be okay. Our community's going to be okay. There are a bunch of people who are really believing you're good and that you're going to usher in your kingdom through us. And so this Christmas season, when we pause and wonder, we stop and consider and express our doubts. Then when we give in and go, God, it's all yours. Then when we get in community and then out of the result of all that, would you spend time praising God and your families and collectively here and would love, love, love be brand new to this thing to consider, consider so boldly to show back up here on a Wednesday night, have a meal with us, get to be known. And got some stuff in your life right now. You're going, I actually need some community. As people are heading that way, right here to my right, to be people who would love, I mean this, love the opportunity to connect with you and pray with you. Brand new, want to talk to someone about the church, info center out there, grab a free t-shirt. That's it. You guys have a great rest of your week, and we hope to see you Wednesday night.